0: Our reading this morning comes from the book of Numbers, and we will do 13 1 and 3, 17 to 20, and fourteen one through 9. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites, and the names follow. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. This was the season for the first ripe grapes. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or in this land, only in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. The title of our lesson today is about how we receive information from the many sources that are around us today how we synthesize that information, and the process by which we interpret that information. There is an overwhelming amount of information everywhere. And I believe that we should be careful who we are listening to and the conclusions that we draw from this information. As a Christian, my question to you is where is or where do you get your information from? What is the source of your information? If you said scripture and you get your information from scripture, then Christianity cannot be acquitted with your own self-interest simply because, quote, all scripture is inspired of God and beneficial for teaching, for reproving, for setting things straight, and for disciplining in righteousness. That is Timothy who said that. The reason I bring this up is because very often we look at scripture and then we interpret most of it according to our desires to suit our circumstances. Now, having celebrated our independence just last week, I believe this nation is at the threshold of a new reality of building a more perfect union. This nation, as you all know, was built on the principles of a Judeo-Christian 238 years ago when the Declaration of Independence was adopted followed by the writing of the Constitution in 1787 with James Madison as one of the major players in that process. The Christian principles that formed the foundation of this country, however, have been wearing out slowly but surely, but the momentum is still there. We are more or less clinging on to the effect of these principles while rejecting the cause of the same. We are still able to do charity and humanitarian projects all over the world, and that's a plus. That cannot be overlooked. Now, to reinforce our foundation and face the challenges of us ahead, I believe that we need to consider three things. First, we need to consider knowledge, which is all the information we can and are able to access. Second, we need a process through which we can be able to discriminate between the volumes of information which we can safely call understanding. And third, and most importantly, and more than anything else, we need wisdom. Wisdom is the divinely enabled application of God's truth to all life on a full-time basis and not when it is ideologically or politically correct, or convenient for you and I. Please note that wisdom cannot be acquired through seminary or university education, or even otherwise. It is God-inspired. Let it also be known that knowledge is that which is consistent with reality, and reality is the way things actually are, not only how we perceive them to be, or how we want them and wish them to be. Again, let it be known that God alone possesses all truth, and real truth we possess has its ultimate source in God. Now, to further strengthen the foundation of our understanding, perhaps transcend our ideologies so just for a moment, Solomon tells us that wisdom is the principal thing, therefore Get wisdom. And in all you are getting, get understanding. Proverbs 4 7. Having prepared the groundwork now, we can safely delve and swim to the deep end to take a look at what Numbers 13 and 14 is saying to us today. We will hear what happens when people openly mutiny against God and arrive at a turning point in their history. Our history is still being written. Our story begins at the point where the Israelis were moving towards independent self-government, and here they were then at the threshold of acquiring a land to build a new nation, with God in the lead. The human leaders were Moses and his older brother Aaron, who worked side by side, confronting Pharaoh and led them out of Egypt. Aaron's sons were appointed priests, and only them, only they could lead in worship at the newly built tabernacle in the center of the camp. At this point, the constitution for the new nation was already in effect, going back to Exodus 20 and 30. God had already done all the work, and all the Israelis had to do was to go in and start organizing themselves as a new nation. But wait! The congregation, the people, lost their trust in God. They would not take God for his word, even the promise God had made to them, not to mention that they had come thus far, guided by God, through a pillar of cloud in the sky, Now, this is where politics creeps in, in earnest. The people wanted human spies to do reconnaissance before entering Canaan. Moses then consulted with God, and God gave in to their demands. A committee of spies from the 12 tribes was put together. It was a tribal committee because each tribe wanted representation. They wanted one of their own. A committee of 12 was constituted and given instructions and the strategy for the mission. There were no drones those days and no television to to relay the pictures onto our living rooms so that we could see the military tactics. There were no armchair generals and commentators who today seem to understand the battle better than the fighters themselves. Reminds me of the World Cup playing in Brazil right now, and I find myself scoring goals from the comfort of my sitting room. (laughs) Things took a very dramatic turn when the report by the spies came back. The previously united committee was now divided along party lines, 10 to 2. They were reading from the same script, but arriving at very, very different conclusions. They spied the same land and even brought back evidence of the futility or the fertility of the soil in form of the grapes that they brought back. Overwhelming evidence was not enough to satisfy the critics who had a very negative agenda, which was to go back to Egypt. If you dig deeper, you see that perhaps Moses was part of the problem as well, because earlier on he had received favors from the people he was now being told to go and fight, but God was adamant and said, go up. The command was to go up and fight the enemy. There was no retreat at this point. What, God, what, what a tragedy it is for all of us, or anyone of us, to question God's wisdom over our own opinions and the politics involved? Don't we also give too much credit to the reports and the presentations of our own sense than divine revelation? This idea of walking by sight and not by faith is very, very evident with the people of Israel. But it is worse, because with all the evidence, we still want more concrete evidence. So evidence is not the issue here. With all the teaching and the worshipping, we still equate our own faith with our own self-interest. I call that feigned faith, and it goes to demonstrate how little Christianity has impacted us to the extent that we sometimes vote against the same self-interests we claim to hold dear and near. Israel was confronted with crises whose rebellion climaxed when representatives retreated to their corners. The people's faith had been lost. They cast doubt on God's promise. Caleb, who was of the tribe of Judah, which was the leading tribe, was chosen by Moses, to manage the crisis because he was the fittest to be listened to by the people. Caleb was killed and Moses knew that. The people did not like Moses that much either. The representatives instilled fear of giants and grasshoppers into the people's minds by misinformation to advance their own agenda. And the people bought into it. Does that even sound familiar to most of us here? Then again, as always, God passed judgment and declared that everyone 20 years and above would wander in the wilderness and perish in the desert for their contempt of God. Only two adults, Caleb and Aaron, would enter Canaan with a young generation of teenagers and the children. Why were there just two adults? Well, God is faithful and wanted teachers for these young people to remind them where they came from. God understands continuity more than we do or would like to imagine. It is also in God's plan, but we may not think that God does not understand. God was not caught by surprise of the Israelis rebelling against him. After the Israelis discovered that God was angry with them, they decided to go up and fight while their protection had already been removed, their victory had already been withdrawn by God. And as the story goes, they were humiliated very, very badly. Now, it's funny how history tends to repeat itself over the years because today, as were circumstances then, there were those who were eager to go and fight the giants in Canaan and those who were bent on going back to Egypt. And similarly, there have been rumors from among us wanting to go back 200 years. Caleb sees a bright future beckoning and critics would not listen to any of that. there's no doubt in my mind that better days are still ahead. The question is, who among us are part of the forward-looking generation and who are looking backwards? Who belong to the looking-back generation, the back-to-Egypt generation, or the up-into-Canaan generation? Which one do you belong to? How can we even transcend our own ideologies to reflect our own spiritual selves? Where are you getting your information from and how do you interpret that same information? You see, 7,014 years ago to date of this story, the coincidences are very, very glaring. We know the date because in Palestine then, according to the records, grapes were ready. For harvest in the month of July. Now, if we fast forward to 2014, what you see is a generation which has lost faith in God. We are probably just chugging along and resigned to the notion that we cannot change the world, even by military strategies, and forgetting that God is very much in control and God is not looking to compromise His word just because we are in the 21st century. There are a number of missteps the Israelis made in their downward spiral, and these missteps happen to us as well. First, we mistrust God. God is no longer the center of your life or my life. Other things become central. Second, you and I buy into information knowingly or the lack thereof, perhaps because it is ideologically or politically correct to believe a lie. Third, our guilt sends us to double down in our mistakes, and we cannot own honor because of our big egos. Israel did that 7,000 years ago, and we seem to be doing the same today ideology seems to trump good sense. When you look at the history of our nation, we see that things have not always been easy. Things are never easy, and things will never be easy. But remember that it has always been a few visionaries who have worked tirelessly to bring us to where we are now. Building a nation is not easy, we are at the threshold of a new reality, and it can be scary because we have no idea what we will look like 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road. But again, those who are in the spirit, like Caleb, can see that God has already conquered the giants, and all we need to do is go up and occupy that space with confidence. By the way, I am not underestimating the giant challenges in our individual lives or those of our nation, far from that, but going back to Egypt is not an option. What we see in the passages we just read is a problem of interpretation of information. I call those distorted lenses. We are looking at the same data and drawing very, very radically different conclusions. Very rarely do we first seek divine understanding of our challenges. But I also think there is something much bigger than our fears, our doubts, our ideologies, and that is our intellectual obstacles within us, which means that our thoughts are captivated by something else other than the person of Christ. Simply put, people can be held mentally captive by that which is central in their lives, or to whomsoever one pays too much attention. Here is the thing. If you want to control somebody, anybody, try to capture his or her mind, and that person becomes like a joystick. Otherwise, how can so many people be wrong? The whole Israeli congregation was wrong. Dr. Mark Ratland says, puts it best, and says, people can very easily be wrong it is far more likely that the majority will be wrong than right. He goes on to say that this is not an assault on the democratic process by any means. It is simply a truth that crowds can become lynch mobs in a flash. The law means little to a mob because once that mob dynamic is unleashed, its ferocious power is virtually unstoppable. In the pursuance of their shared goal, whatever it is, they feel justified, not in the cause alone, but in the very character of group experience. This is also called the bonding power of us-ness, them-ness, which can justify all manner of lawlessness. Here are some of the statements that the Palestinians, that the Israelis uh, in Palestine agreed upon. First, they agreed that the land devours its inhabitants, verse 32, chapter 13. Back in 1953, Nolan Harmon noted that even in our day, in too many ways, our land and many others around the world devour their inhabitants in less than subtle ways. For example, look at the many slums in all big cities, the sheer cropping in rural areas throughout through the injustices of economic order, and through the inequalities of social systems, whether they are justified or not, I might add. It is probably true that if you are not at the table, you are probably in the menu. (laughs) The congregation also saw imaginary giants from the information they got from the representatives in verse 33. Do we have seemingly giant issues? Absolutely. Is health care a giant? Certainly it is. Is it unsurmountable? Absolutely not. It can be done without drama and theatrics. The third, we see the effect of what they saw in themselves, the Israelis, and they said, and we were in our sight in our own sight as grasshoppers. This is a tragedy for any representative to look at things from that perspective. Most dangerous was their projection of themselves into the minds of the giants. What kind of an attitude is this, my dear friends? The 10 representatives had an intimidating, crippling, and even paralyzing effect on the whole congregation. And by contrast, Joshua and Caleb saw the smokescreen in their spirit that God had already won the battle for them. Otherwise, how would you and I, how would they have known without the spirit that God had already withdrawn the enemy's protection to their advantage? The minority report was easily understood, for they are bred, For us, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. 24. There was at this point of doubt the question that has always been raised in every generation as God's people have been called to go forward. The price of progress in the kingdom of God is not easily won or willingly paid by God's people. When suffering and sacrifice are demanded, then the people complain and clamor for the status quo to go back to Egypt. Imagine what the consequences would have been if the Israelis had gone back to Egypt. What about us? Finally, the question arises, how long? How long? This question presents us with the insights of the nature of God. It is not only man who cries, how long, how long, O Lord, but God who cries, how long, O man. Brothers and sisters, allow me to paint this picture for you. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving any transgressions. But remember that God will by no means clear the guilty. That's the sad part. This is a much neglected aspect of God's moral order that though He forgives sin, God cannot clear the guilty of the inevitable consequences of sin or prevent those consequences from taking their course even to the third generation. There are limits to which we can stretch God's patience. We send spies to the capital to spy for us and we receive reports and we interpret that report whichever way we want. What do we tell them? What do they tell us? What is your interpretation of all the information that you're receiving? Do we ever ask the hard questions and do we ever seek divine understanding? of these issues Brothers and sisters we have an opportunity here today Micah tells us this quote He has shown you O oh man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God Amen